Company Watch Financial Analytics. Welcome to the fifth episode of our Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning. As usual, we'll try to keep this to a 15-minute roundup of the main news of the week in as far as we think it might impact our listeners managing business risk, particularly in the credit and supply chain. We're recording on Friday the 24th of April, and we're going to cover a range of issues which we've touched on in the past, I think, but have developed quite rapidly over the last week. So there are three three main themes I think we'll we'll look at today. The first is the tussle between landlords and non-rent-paying tenants, and that's really gathering momentum and threatening to turn quite ugly, and it prompted yesterday quite a staggering intervention by the government, which we'll talk about. Second, we'll look at the non-food retail sector. We've had some stats about that this morning. In particular, we'll look at the fashion and the ripple effect of store closures on global supply chain a little bit and look at the early casualties here and what seems to be the pattern of potential rescue deals. And then finally, and this is quite a big topic, which I know we'll come back to over coming weeks, it's the trade credit insurance. And we did actually talk about that in episode one of the podcast. And it's that confidence of businesses to continue to trade on credit terms that's going to be so vital in any kind of recovery. And I think that credit insurance is going to be a really big part of that. So having the confidence, making that work in a way that's commercially viable for the insurers and gives confidence to the um, to businesses is going to be a really big, really big part of that. So, Nick, as normal, I'm going to hand over to, to you to, to do the run, run through. <laughs> not, not an easy task. No, I mean truly extraordinary. I mean every every, every week as we as we plan for this chat, um, you know, my concern is what do we find to talk about that's relevant. But it's not many weeks when the oil price uh, goes uh, uh, negative and the government uh, rips up um, all the rules in the entire UK property market. So it's really, really I mean, quite... we haven't even talked about oil, have we? <laughs> that didn't even make the cut. So no, 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 no. No, um, but I mean, what, what's happened here? With, let, let's talk about the property market. Um, the the tussle between the landlords and the and the um, non rent paying tenants. You know, yes, of course, it was it was getting very unpleasant. Government originally had stepped in and said um, you can't terminate a lease for non payment of rent. That was the first step, and the landlords as we discussed in the last podcast, then stepped around that roadblock and said, all right, in which case we'll issue um, uh, uh, winding up petitions, which um, for a lot of companies is is catastrophic. And if if it's a listed company, of course, the reputational damage is absolutely enormous. It's enormous, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And and for example, the landlord, one of the landlords for the Travelodge um, hotel chain went public and said, Okay, we're going to take legal action. Um, and another uh, another landlord pointed his bazooka at uh, at boots of all people. And the CEO of the landlord said, and I quote, "There are a lot of well capitalized companies with the capacity to pay rent. They can't simply expect a rent free period without talking to us about it." And uh, at the same time, market analyst. Um, uh, described into the huge retail landlord as being at the end of the road, saying its equity um, had no value. Uh, Cass Business School uh, did a survey of retail property lenders 
and came up with the conclusion that the total losses on retail property loans this year might amount to ten billion pounds. Wow. Um, and, and, and that's was, before that's before this announcement. Yes, that's before this. That's before. This is before this. And then yeah. this wonderful quote from a senior property executive that, that I, I transfixed me, uh, to be honest, um, where he said, "The only problem we have in retail property is our entire way of doing business for the last sixty years is broken." Well, if he thought it was broken before. Now, as of last night, uh, Alok Sharma, Sharma, the business minister, um, came out and said, basically to landlords, you now have no rights. You can't terminate the lease. You can't serve a winding up petition. You can't. And I think he's, he's talking about voiding petitions that have already been served. Yes, not? absolutely. So but any action uh, you might have taken and you thought, you know, there was a there was a light there to, to get some recourse is now gone as well. Well, it's a it's a it's a moment of uh, moment to um, relish the good old days when uh, when when the law wasn't retrospective, yeah. when it wasn't supposed to be retrospective. So we now have a situation where retail landlords um, are caught between the uh, the rock of the tenants who won't pay rent and retail rent collections were down uh, for the last quarter day are still no more than fifty percent of what they they had expected they would normally expect to collect so they're getting no income from the tenants they have no rights but of course they have stakeholders they have banks uh, to keep happy and of course the final point is that they are major payers of dividends and so all of our pension schemes can be the casualties here but it, my goodness, it just looks like the government's lined up behind the high street. Well, hallelujah, it's probably only about 10 years too late doing that. And and, and just uh, taken the side of the tenant and said to the landlords, well, it's, you know, get on with it. But it's hard, isn't it? Because I think there is a narrative of the big landlords mm-hmm. bullying the small. And actually, you know, that really isn't that isn't the case, I don't think. Because I think, no. the, you know, the landlords, as you, as you say, are, are paying into dividends which are funding pensioners um bank loans you know that we we talked about whether they before we started recording about whether they would actually be able to have recourse to some of the other government schemes to help businesses and we couldn't really work out where they would get access you know where the where the other side of this equation is you know on the one hand if you're if you're stopping them operating in their their normal commercial way Mm. They're not. There's no kind of picking up the slack on the other side, is there? Because they, you know, they haven't really got well, employees. Well, and the the ultimate um, uh, outcome of this, if the government isn't careful, is that the biggest um, uh, the biggest set of landlords in the country in nine months' time will be the UK insolvency profession. And there was a time I can remember some 10, 12 years ago where um, a substantial and calculable percentage of the hotels in the UK were under the control of insolvency practitioners. Goodness. Uh, they were the biggest um, buyers of bedding for, hotel, for hotels in the, in the country. Wow. So anyway, uh, it, so that is where we are at. Um, I can't see where the landlords go from here, but this, I think we'll just have to keep uh, keep coming back to that. Mm. And it's a domino effect again, isn't it? It's these, yes. These, these, these problem, and, you know, 
who who can make these very complex decisions in such a short period of time and really see the you know it's impossible i think to and and of course what will the law look like when it hits parliament because the devil might well be in the detail here of how on earth you define what alok sharma described as a high street um, Quite. um business what happen, what happens to gyms and leisure centers mm. that are also under heavy attack by by landlords who aren't receiving rents but we'll see we'll see how yeah. that one plays out fashion haha good yeah. old fashion always fragile very fragile before this started uh, casualties earlier in the in in the year very interesting quote from a leading fashion um uh, ceo uh, i think monday um of this week where he, what he signaled was, and it's something to think about from a credit risk um, and a supply chain point of view. And what he said was, the last half of 2020 looks worse to me than the first three months of the crisis. And what he's talking about there is, okay, right now he's, you know, they're closed. If they're online businesses trading, that's fine. But probably still losing 75% of their sales, or in the case of someone like Primark, all of their sales. What he's looking at is the problem that there was a calculation, not this week, but last week, that at the end of this, there would be £15 billion worth of spring and summer fashion items in store or in warehouse or on its way from suppliers. And what on earth is the fashion business supposed to do about that? And 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 it's it, it's quite interesting. Um, we've had the first few casualties in in the in the fashion um, industry, or at least we've we've seen a further stage in 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 their rescue. Um, Laura Ashley and Kath Kitson have both now found buyers. Mm. Deal's not done, but buyers have in been principle. announced. Mm. In principle, buyers, but the buyers are taking the brand name, the intellectual property, the online presence, such as it is, not the stores. And let's face it, who would, you know, if if you're a a buyer of a distressed business, why would you take a punt on the high street at the moment? And so again, that's another impact for the landlords. Yes, it it is another. You know, those leases are not going to be paid. and, and, And another development, which again shows you how long this may take to really get back to anything like normality, um, is that uh, the British Retail Consortium wrote to Alok Sharma this week and warned him that um, non-food retailers would need several weeks' warning of being allowed to reopen in order to reconfigure their stores for social distancing. And and, and here we come, we're back to PPE again, to obtain sufficient PPE for their staff. So, you know, even if we get some sort of relaxation of of the the sharpest impact of the lockdown in, let's say, the end of May, could easily be uh, July, August before the shops are really open. And the early indication from Germany, which started to reopen its shops this week, is that the shops are open, but the customers aren't coming. Mm-hmm. Well, as well, if we think about it, the, the most successful retailers, non-food retailers, over the last couple of years have been those <laughs> that provide an experience type shopping. Yes. And, you know, 
seeing people in PPE? Is that really a, is that really the kind of experience you're going out for? Do you, do you want to be going out and, and feeling like you're putting yourself at risk in this environment yeah. when there is an online option and will people have the money you know because let's face it with the furlough scheme that's been announced only goes to the end I mean it was extended now to the end of June I can't see that the government won't be in a position to have to extend that um if the you know I think that it would be politically impossible not to not to do that but even so that's still quite a substantial um drop in income for for most Mm. for most people and and it's a discretionary spend isn't it agreed so I mean I think I think it is um it's it's going to be any any thought that in the fashion sector we're going to be back to normal in the sort of in Q3 or Q4. And of course, Q4, uh, not so much in fashion, although it is important in fashion, but in non-food retail in general, Q4 is the be all and end all. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Now, yeah. setting aside the issues with supply chains, because bear in mind, Broadly speaking, for um, all aspects of retail, Christmas, the uh, orders have been placed and the the manufacturing has pretty much taken place by now for Christmas because it's coming through the the supply chain. And uh, because Christmas for some of these uh, retailers starts in September and October. Yeah, that's true. And, and so, so we're not very far away from that. So, setting aside the supply chain issues, what on earth is Christmas going to look like this year? Mm. You know, I think you know this is the old "be afraid, be very, very afraid." Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not a nice message. I wish there was more hopeful yeah. thing. Um, we we had some stats this morning, didn't we, on the um, on the overall retail picture? Yeah, retail, retail sales um, overall up five percent in March. Um, food retail was up ten percent. Um, non-food, uh, apart from fashion, was down 25%, and fashion sales were down 34.1%. That's in, that's March, in March, yeah. With only one week of lockdown. I mean, I think yeah. I think people knew it was coming since from the beginning of March, so let's say two weeks. One does wonder about April, but that'll be another discussion in the, another four weeks. Yeah, and also, you know, that panic buying, I suppose some of that in March was panic buying. Yes. And of course, we've seen that trail off in April as social distancing has been introduced in in stores. So there's actually not as many people, the capacity for for shops is much less. Waitrose uh, sales were down 5% in, I can't remember which period, the last couple of weeks, uh, the John Lewis partnership uh, results were announced midweek. They're down 5% because they can't actually get the people through I mean, my local Waitrose store is allowing 30, and it's a mega store, it's one of the biggest I've ever seen, is allowing 38 customers in store at any one point in time. Normally, there would be hundreds in there. Mm. And again, (laughs) talking about experience shopping, when I've been to the shop, it's actually quite a pleasant experience to go with very few people in, and I tend to just take my time as I go around, so I'm not exactly rushing through, and I suppose that's the other problem, it just is is that capacity issue, um, is that people are not going and... Um, yes, in and, and out, and of course, it's all very well queuing in a car park for an, for an hour and a quarter to to do your week, weekly or fortnightly shop. But um, we haven't half had good weather, haven't we? Well, on a wet day, it might feel a bit different. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, true. retail, yeah. watch this very damaged space. Um, I'm conscious of time. We're, we've been going for our 15 minutes already, so <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's there is too much to talk about. I I will touch on this this trade credit. 
um, insurance issue. And I think maybe this is something we come back to next week if, if there has been some more. The speed at which decisions are made these days um, mm. from government is, is quite frankly... Um, Incredible. So we, we may have some some more news on that. But that, that the, the story this week was that um, the Association of, of British Insurers had sent a proposal to government to say, you know, we need you to to give some kind of be re, uh, the reinsurer of last resort and, and give some confidence to the credit insurers to be able to continue to offer policies and to to continue to to support that um, trade on credit terms. So far, the, the um, department have confirmed that the talks have been. Going ahead, we haven't had any real sense of of where governments are, other than in France, Germany, and Italy. Um, all of those governments have have announced some kind of package to support the trade credit insurer. So it seems quite likely. I would have thought that there will be something from the um, from the governments. But again, I guess it's just it's just um, thinking those things through. And and again, these are stats that we had back in the first episode of the podcast. So the British Business Bank. Uh, that was research from 2019, said that 36% of SMEs rely on trade credits and 70% of those are using that instead of external finance. Then Atradius, um, one of the large credit insurers, published some research in October last year about um, the, the number of, of credit terms. So 55% of their respondents transacted on credit terms. And then we have that, that always that issue of the, the payment late payment is absolutely rife all over the place. And I think, you know, is that that will only get worse. They were saying 35% of invoices were paid past year, and that was fairly normal. And I think we'll start seeing that stretch um, even further. So I think it just shows you that that you need we need to have some kind of trade credit in the economy to to give confidence for for businesses to trade with each other. And if if we go to some kind of cash terms and that's going to put more pressure on bank finances and we although we're starting to see those business interruption loans flowing through and money being delivered, it's taken a jolly long time, hasn't it, to, to mm. get that out. Yes, it has. And you know, and that's we've still got a credit um a credit economy that's working. Yes. So I think if there's any if there's any disruption to that, that's going to be really quite um quite problematic. So I think that's something that's definitely to come back um back to next next time on. So Nick, is there anything else to sum up? I mean, to me it feels like hope and reality are just colliding. colliding. Yes. You know, we had the this this idea we talked about last time about the V-shaped recession of the ODR scenario. And then you have Chris Whitty on Wednesday, I think the Wednesday briefing saying that we have a, a very, you see, this was a politician's answer, wasn't it? A calendar year. And no, nobody can quite work out what he means. Is that the end of this year? Is that a year from now? Or is that the end of next year even? Um, that w- where we'll have some kind of social distancing in place. And so, you know, we, we, we will expect those levers to be pulled in different ways. And manufacturing construction, I guess, will be the, the, the sectors that are really prioritised to get, to get the economy moving. But these high street retailers... Um, probably not going to be back to anything like pre-March 2020 normal um, for, for some time, are they? Indeed. So um, I think that's that's our that's our conclusion really today. It's, it's still many, many more things to, to come as, as we understand the impact of this domino effect in different sectors, as different sectors start to be bailed out and and helped, there will be that 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 knock-on effect. So we'll we'll return to these things next week as ever if there's any particular topic that you'd like us to cover please let us know um and thank you very much again to nick for for joining and sharing <laughs> your wise pleasure. words <laughs> and thank you all to, for listening thank you